Cars. This is White Sox Weekly, your two-hour all-access pass to everything White Sox. Drive in the air, deep to right, it is gone! This is a presentation of the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Now here's your host, Connor McKnight. Welcome into White Sox Weekly. No Connor today. I am Jeff Meller in for Connor McKnight. Connor will actually join me in about 15 minutes from now. He's on the call of tonight's White Sox Twins game at Guaranteed Rate along with Darren Jackson. So we'll get you your dose of Connor on White Sox Weekly, I promise you, in about 15 minutes from now. But before we get there, plenty to do on today's show. We will talk, we'll preview the Twins with Bobby Nightingale Jr., who covers the team. We'll do that in the 4 o'clock hour. I'll give you a little taste of a great new White Sox documentary that's available for you to consume. If you haven't checked it out yet, I promise you, you will not want to miss it. And once I give you a little taste of how hip-hop helped revive one of the uh, the White Sox greatest rebrands in history, you will definitely, I promise you, want to go check out the entirety. But I'll give you a little taste later on in this edition of White Sox Weekly. But before we get there, let's recap what has been a pretty rough week for the White Sox. They've now lost four in a row, including last night, when they lost to the Minnesota Twins 10-2 for the second straight day. And they have lost six of their last seven, dating back to last Friday night against the Detroit Tigers when they won 6-0. But as I mentioned, it's been a rough week for the Sox. They lost to the Tigers last Saturday Night three to one. They followed up Sunday, losing three to two. Monday's game against the Kansas City Royals was postponed due to rain. Thus, the White Sox went and went ahead and played a straight doubleheader on Tuesday. They beat the Kansas City Royals six to two in the first game of the doubleheader. Then they went on to lose the nightcap eleven to ten in a game where the Kansas City Royals blew a nine-run lead, but then would go on to win that game eventually eleven to ten. The Kansas City Royals would take game three of that set and the series seven to one. And then the last two nights, the White Sox have lost to the Minnesota Twins 10 to two. As I mentioned, they have lost four in a row. It has been a tough season all year long. If you'd like to lay on my couch, feel free. 312-332-3776. A little bit of Sox therapy for you. If you'd like to talk about a rough season, we're here for you. We'll take your calls throughout the show until we bring you up to White Sox pregame as they will take on the Twins tonight. Pablo Lopez on the mound for the Minnesota Twins. Tuki Toussaint will be pitching for the White Sox. But some of the highlights from this past week included a home run from Aloy Jimenez back on Tuesday. Eloy swings and hits a line drive to deep left, and it's gone. A home run, the first hit, and first run for the White Sox. It's 9-1. to one. It was nice to see, and I'll mention Aloy now has 16 homers on the season and 58 RBIs. He's hitting 270. like to see more power from Aloy. That's somebody who you would have thought, having played as many games as he actually has this season, he's been somewhat healthier than he has been in the past. You would have thought he would have been able to provide a little bit more power. Again, another one of those key players that Chris Getz is going to have a real decision to make on in the offseason if there will be trade talks surrounding him. Also, on back on Tuesday, we saw Gavin Sheets deliver uh, some RBIs in what was that comeback that fell, fell short. 
Brian two, here it comes. Swinging a fly ball, pretty well hit. Deep right center field. Blanco chasing, it'll hit the wall. Two runs home, Robert and Jimenez. Here comes Perez, sheets all the way to third, and you called it, partner. It's 9-8. As I said, the effort was valiant, but it was not enough, and it's kind of been the way the season has gone for the White Sox so far this year. They end up losing that game 11-10 to to the Kansas City Royals, and then, of course, as I mentioned, the uh, Royals would go on to take the third game of that series, and the White Sox would lose that one. Um, I'm sorry, 11-10, to that was that game, and that would give the Royals the series two games, to two out of three in that. Andrew Vaughn with a home run against the Twins earlier in the week. Pitch by Maeda. Vaughn spins on one, deep left field. Walner back at the wall, reaches and can't get there. That's a dinger. Andrew Vaughn with a two-run shot, and the White Sox are on the board. We had Andrew Vaughn on last week on White Sox Weekly. Of course, talked a lot about playing through this season, how it's been difficult. But again, clearly one of the pieces the White Sox intend to build around going forward. That was his uh, career-high 20th home run on the season. Continues to set that mark higher and higher as we go along. 138 games so far this season with uh, 75 runs driven in. That ties for the team lead with Luis Robert. He's also hitting 261 with a 317 on base this year. And another player for the White Sox, last White Sox highlight for the week here that I give you, Elvis Andrews. He's been one of the few players who you could really say over the past month has really been playing very hard and well for the White Sox. 3-1. Swinging a high fly ball out in the deep left. Luplo will run out of room. Gone! Two-run homer, Elvis Andrews, and they are on the board. That is his sixth of the year, and it's now 6-2. to two. As, uh, as Len mentioned there, his sixth home run of the season. He's also driven in 41 runs on the year. Kind of continuing that solid play that he brought the White Sox late in the season when they when they added him as a uh, free agent addition late in the season. He has been somebody who has given the team that veteran presence. I think he's a player who, you know, he was brought in late into spring training as that second base kind of filler. And I think Elvis Andrews has kind of given you what you would have hoped for and expected. And he's been a good veteran presence, a leader inside that clubhouse. And so we shall see. I don't know, based on his age, what the, you know, the appetite will be to bring him back next year. But he's somebody who, you know, I think you can count on inside that clubhouse on a day-in and day-out basis. That's something that has been clearly sorely lacking for the White Sox for the better part of over a season now. However... One thing I'll say, even though it's been a rough week for the White Sox, one of the cool things about baseball is you never know, if you go to a ball game, you never know, you may just see something that you have never seen before. And if you were in the house last night at Guaranteed Right Field, you saw something that nobody has ever seen before when Royce Lewis stepped to the plate in the second inning with the bases loaded. A high fly to left field. Ben Benintendi going back. Royce Lewis with another grand slam. Wow. His fifth career grand slam, his fourth this season. And it's four to nothing. 
Royce Lewis made some history last night at Guaranteed Rate Field. Now, the Twins go on to win that game 10-2 to last night. But as I mentioned, Royce Lewis has been absolutely on fire when it comes to coming to the plate with the bases loaded. As you heard there, that highlight courtesy of Bally Sports Minnesota. That was Royce Lewis's fourth career Grand Slam. I'm not sorry. His fourth Grand Slam in the last 16 games. His fifth career Grand Slam. He has 16 career homers. And now Royce Lewis was a highly touted prospect for the Minnesota Twins. He has been a piece, a, a, a very high, you know, a very high draft pick who they have been waiting for. And last season he suffered a torn ACL injury, which ended his season very early in the year. I believe it was like the twelfth or thirteenth game into the season. He came back this year, suffered an oblique injury in early June, which set him back for another eight weeks or so. And since he's come back, as you heard right there, he hit his fourth Grand Slam in the last 16 games, which is just absolutely absurd to even come to, you know, quite often players don't come to the plate with the bases loaded four times over a 16-game stretch, much less to have the opportunity than to go ahead and hit four Grand Slams during that span. Again, it is the first time in Major League Baseball history that a player has done that um, where he's hit that many Grand Slams in that short a period of time. And it's also the first time a player has ever hit five Grand Slams within his first 16 career home runs. That stat courtesy of the great Sarah Langs. Follow her. She's at Slangs on Sports. She's a great follow if you are a fan of baseball stats. Royce Lewis was on the field after the game. And this, again, is uh, this interview courtesy of Bally Sports Minnesota talking about what he has achieved. All right, Royce, I'm to the point where I don't even know what to say anymore. Like, I, are, you, are you real? Are you human? Yeah, absolutely. I, I just like to have fun, and, uh, you know, I got another pitch to hit. So. In that moment, the bases are loaded. It's a three-and-one count. Were you surprised he threw you a fastball right down the middle? Uh, no, you know, I was actually looking for it maybe down and in. That's where he was trying to execute some fastballs there in that at-bat, and uh, he threw it a little bit over the middle of the plate there and uh, just took advantage. You know, as a fan, you see yet another grand slam, and it's like, are, are you kidding me? What goes through your mind in the moment when you realize it's gone? Uh, that, that was special, uh, and I get to do it with all my friends and my teammates and, and my family here, so uh, it really meant a lot, and uh, I'm just excited I got that ball back, and uh, let's just keep doing more. That would be great. I mean, you continue to make history. No twin has ever had four grand slams in a season. Rookie record, you've hit five in 66 career games, and we can go on and on, yet you still stay grounded and humble. How do you do that, and why is that so important to you? Uh, this game is so hard, you know, and it could be taken away from you at any point. I, I'm, I know that of the, the best of them, and uh, I just want to play and have fun and take advantage of the opportunity that I get to be a big leaguer uh, each and every day. And so uh, that, that's where that comes from. I, I got to keep working and keep showing them that, you know, I belong here, and uh, that's what I'm trying to do. Like I said, kind of cool to see a guy come back from some adversity, the injuries that he's dealt with, and then to have some success. Of course, not fun to see at, a, at the White Sox fans' expense, but nevertheless, when you go out to the ballpark, you never know what you might see. Hey, celebrate the 40th anniversary of the 1983 AL West champions with 40% off your game tickets for tomorrow's game. The first 10,000 fans in attendance will receive a 1983 Winning Ugly t-shirt presented by Whittingham Meats. To purchase your discounted ticket, 
Visit whitesocks.com slash 1983. All right, so there's a little uh, Twins reprieve. Let's get back to the White Sox. Connor McKnight's going to join me next, and we will talk about White Sox and Twins and Connor's assessment of the Sox season so far. We'll do that in a few short minutes here on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Recap the game, Cap and Jay Hood, weekday mornings at 7. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. Jeff Miller here on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Join us tomorrow for Family Sundays presented by Coca-Cola at Guaranteed Rate Field. Bring your family out to the ballpark for a day full of fun. Tickets start at just $10. Visit whitesox.com slash Sunday to purchase your tickets today. Jeff Miller here on White Sox Weekly bringing you up to Sox and Twins. Pre-game coverage will start at 5.30 tonight right here on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Connor McKnight will be on the call along with Darren Jackson as uh, they will bring you the third of this four-game set against the Minnesota Twins. Again, the White Sox have uh, struggled as of late. It has not been a good week by any means for the Sox. Certainly, hopefully trying to end this losing streak at four tonight. Pablo Lopez, though, will be a difficult foe that they will be going up against tonight as he will be on the hill for the Minnesota Twins. And he has, and the Twins now, at 78 and 70, look like they are in prime position to lock up the American League Central right now. They're eight games on top of the Cleveland Guardians, who are in second place. The Detroit Tigers are nine and a half back. Of course, the White Sox right now sitting 22 games out of first place. They've been eliminated, of course, at 56 and 92 on the season. And the Kansas City Royals, who gave the Sox trouble this past week, are now 31 games out, 47 and 101 on the season. They've already hit that 100 loss threshold, which is obviously not great. And the White Sox, you know, can they avoid losing 100 games? I think that's really the one marker that they're going to try. And that's the one thing you can point to here down the stretch as you look to avoid, you know, if you can, whenever you hit triple digits and losses, that is obviously a bad mark for a baseball team. And I think Chris Getz, the newly named general manager of the team, is looking at how this ends, and he's going to say, all right, who's actually providing some fight down the stretch here from my roster? And honestly, I mentioned Elvis Andrews playing better over the last month or so. I think Andrew Vaughn continues to give you a solid effort, but outside of that, you know, it's been pretty slim picking. So it hasn't been ideal, but it is what it is as the White Sox try and wrap up the season hoping to avoid that brutal 100 loss mark. We'll see if they can do it down the stretch. One of the men, one of the men tasked with calling that tonight will be Connor McKnight who joins me here on White Sox Weekly. Connor, uh obviously it's been a difficult week. It's been a difficult season for White Sox fans. Uh welcome to your show here on White Sox Weekly. Connor, what's going on, man? Hey Jeff, how you doing, man? Yeah, it, it's been tough. Uh, you know, obviously you'd, you'd like to give up or give better fights to divisional opponents that are making their way toward the playoffs. You know, the Twins came in here looking to close that magic number down as close as they could, and two ten two losses aren't what you hope for. But I think when you look at this team right now, you know, the pitching is is it's a lot of youth. You know, a lot of guys who have been claimed off waivers, a lot of guys who have been you know, kind of thrown into this thing and asked for stuff, asked for stuff that they're 
maybe not quite ready for and that the organization wants to find out whether they can take that next step. And that next step may not look like, you know, three up, three down. It might be little increments. And and that can be a a tough place to be. Um, Hopefully, the White Sox take this tough situation now and turn it into something better going forward. You know, Pedro Grafal spoke with reporters about 20 minutes ago and was asked to detail some of the you know, the first month the conversation or so that he and Chris Getz have had, and he didn't go into too many specifics, mm-hmm. but really liked the tone of conversation and the ease of communication that he and Getz um, have, have had over this last month and praised his understanding, Getz's understanding, of how to build a front office from the ground up like he saw got done in Kansas City when they you know, went to the World Series and made their run in the mid-teens. So hopefully that's something the White Sox are able to you know, both learn from and improve on here in the next um, yeah, in the next off season. Because I don't know about you, but I heard Jerry Reinsdorf, the chairman, say that there's not a lot of time to waste, and yeah. I take that to mean that they intend to put their best foot forward in 2024. And if that's the case, there's a lot of work to do. No doubt about it. Connor McKnight joining me here on White Sox Weekly. I'm Jeff Meller taking you up to pregame coverage. First pitch coming your way tonight at 6:10 as the White Sox host the Minnesota Twins. Can you promise, Connor, White Sox fans, that you will not call another Rice Lewis Grand Slam? Oh, man, I wish. I couldn't believe when he got up there with the bases loaded for the first time in game number one. I just thought, oh, well, this is that's not going to happen. I didn't even – so just take behind the scene a little bit. You know, you broadcast, you got the play-by-play broadcast. You sit down and you got your notes and you got all this stuff. But what you don't want to do – is spend all your notes early, right? Just give the sure. eight bullet points you gathered on one player and do it all in the first at bat because then it's like, well, what are you going to do in the sixth? You know, that mm-hmm. kind of I've got all the notes, and Royce comes up the first time, and I didn't even do the grand slam note. And here I am, and this is game number one when he didn't hit the grand slam. Yes. Finally, he gets up there with the bases loaded, and I realize, well, shoot, he's up, and the bases are loaded, and I haven't even touched the grand slam note. So here we go. And then he hits it in game number two. And that ball, I mean, you saw it off yep. the bat. That thing was gone. Uh, and there's a 4 nothing Twins lead. I just, we flashed a graphic on the television broadcast last night when I was on with DJ. And the names of the players yes. that he has more grand slams than, uh, you know, like Mike Schmidt and George Brett. And like, what the hell? How is that even possible? And it just is. It's wild. And the insanity, too, of having four grand slams in an 18-game stretch. I mean, there's plenty of guys who won't see the bases loaded four, four times you know, in an 18-game stretch quite frequently, right? So oh, my God. In, in order to have four grand slams over that stretch is insane. And then to basically shatter every previous mark, you know, Don Mattingly had held the, the previous record in the shortest period of time of hitting four grand slams. I mean, and then, uh, of course, Travis Hafner. Who doesn't love a pronk reference when you get one, right? Pronk. But, like... To see, like, I just remember those guys during those stretches, and you're, you're, my mind was blown. And then to see Bryce Lewis do it again last night at guaranteed rate, I said, you know what? For a baseball fan, that's one of the one of the cool things about going to the ballpark. You never quite know when you're going to see something that's happening for the first time. Yeah, I, I love when you know you're watching the Sporkle quiz get put together live in a game, right? Like <laughs> yes. it's going to be. You know, the list of players that hit four grand slams or five grand, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you know, Bryce Lewis, I saw it happen. I watched it. That was that was the thing. Um, and, and it's it's kind of, you know, listen, nobody wants to see a grand slam hit against the White Sox, right? But if it's going to happen, 
let it be for a kid that seems to have the kind of fun thing that Royce Lewis does Mm -hmm. and have the reputation that Royce Lewis does and be a kid that's come back from two ACL injuries. And the first one, we talked about this a little bit on on Thursday night broadcast, the second ACL injury for Royce was one where, you know, the, the Twins needed some help in the outfield. Byron Buxton had gotten hurt again. And he raised his hand and said, yeah, let me go out there and try it. Let me go out there and play center field for us and see what I can do. And, and he misplanted on a, on a ball at the outfield and ripped that ACL up again. All this kid wanted to do was help his team win from a position he'd not been in before. And that's, that's the kind of stuff that you want your ball players to volunteer for, right? That's yep. the kind of thing that you want your teammates to, to be willing to step up and do. It's also the kind of thing that as an organization – you want to make sure that your players feel empowered to do, right? I mean, it cuts both ways. And it's just, you know, to see a guy go down like that for the second time with an ACL, you know, it reminds you a little bit of Jake Berger, obviously, a little bit of a different circumstance. You know, he wasn't in the bigs when he um, blew the ACL or the, uh, the Achilles the second time. But, you know, you just feel for a guy like that because you know all he wants to do is be out there playing baseball and, and helping out his ball club. And, and to not be able to do that, was, I would imagine, grading on Royce Lewis as much as it had been on Jake Berger, given the conversations that, that everybody had with him. Um, so it's, it's you know, heck, if that's, if that's the karma, right, if that's, listen, it's two ACLs, Royce, but you're going to have five grand slams in your first, oh, I don't know, month and a half to big, will you settle for it? <laughs> I, I don't know what his answer is, but I would imagine, you know, you, you feel a lot better about it than you would otherwise. Certainly validation for all those hard hours of rehab that he's put in, no doubt about it. Connor McKnight joining me here on White Sox Weekly. He'll be on the call with Darren Jackson of tonight's Twins-White Sox game at Guaranteed Rate Field tonight. Connor, uh, give me a bright spot for the Sox this season. Is it, is it basically just Luis Robert? Is that the obvious answer? Is there something that's maybe a little more under the radar that you can point to? What's a bright spot for the White Sox this year that Chris Getz can you know point to right now? Yeah, I think Luis Robert is, is that brightest spot. There's no doubt about it. Love to see him finish. Um, with a little bit of a stronger kick than we've seen him play with here over the last eight, ten days. He seems a little bit um, lost up there at the plate, and that happens. I don't know that Luis, even when he's, you know, kind of prime Luis Robert, whenever that is, um, is necessarily going to be your your two ninety or three ten hitter or what have you. And obviously, he doesn't have to be to provide immense value to a ball club. But I think there's more meat left on the bone in terms of production for Luis Robert in his career than we're seeing in this particular season, even though it's 35 and 35 with the homers and doubles. Um, the other bright spot to me, un- undoubtedly, is Gregory Santos. Mm. I mean, that's a guy who was an afterthought kind of trade. You know, you're adding depth to a bullpen, and there's an existing relationship between Ethan Katz and, and Santos when they were in the Giants organization together. And listen, this kid has, you know, met every bar. And I, I think you can go ahead and pretty easily look at it, the baseball reference page and, and see the results shift a little bit on Santos. And that's that point where the full major league season kind of takes a hit on a young player going through it for the first time. And then shortly thereafter, we heard Pedro Grafol talk about wanting to, you know, shift the overall load of innings down a bit on Gregory. Uh, and we've seen that take effect over the last little while. But I don't think that that should, um, you know, take, take any of the good feelings away from White Sox fans about what Santos's season has been up to this point. I mean, for a little while there, he was he was really unhittable and taking down 
you know, meaty parts of opponent lineups and being that, and I don't know about you, Jeff, but I would imagine you're kind of with me on this. I love the idea of a closer, quote-unquote, um, being deployed in a seventh inning when it's 2-3-4 and a guy gets on for, you know, or, or something like that. Like, yeah. I think that kind of versatility out of a bullpen is a weapon and not, you know, not a weak point. So having Dantos learned that role a little bit of being that closer that's up and ready for the tough pocket of hitters as opposed to just the ninth, I, I think is a good thing. And I think from that, hopefully – the White Sox are able to kind of take that. Well, listen, if that's the top guy, because, you know, obviously Liam Hendricks is your closer as soon as he's healthy, but who knows, you know, how long that rehab is going to be. If it's, it is Liam Hendricks after all, so it might just be a couple of weeks before he comes back from Tommy John because that's the kind of guy he is. But up until that point, you know, Santos seems to be that high leverage back end guy. And, and that can trickle down, right? That can be something that you work with uh, structurally with the rest of your relievers and kind of set that expectation. We expect that when your name is called, you're coming in to get the toughest, baddest hitters that are in this lineup. So get yourself ready for that, as opposed to we're up by three in the ninth. Go ahead and knock this baby down for us. You know, not that those aren't going to exist, but I like my relievers coming out and be a little bit angry at the hitters they got to face. I think I like that a lot more than what we saw in the middle part of the 2010s and early 2000s where it was you've got the seventh you've got the eighth and you've got the ninth and never the recipe will change you know Mm -hmm. absolutely no absolutely i agree uh high leverage innings that's when i want my uh best reliever coming out and putting fires out no doubt about it connor uh i got one more question before i spring you here but hold on one second let's pause 10 seconds and give our stations stations a chance to identify themselves Live from the old National Bank State Street studio. This is WMVP WSHEHD2 Chicago, a good karma brand's radio station. Back here on White Sox Weekly, I'm Jeff Meller, in for Connor McKnight, who has the call, but Connor McKnight is joining me right here for another moment. And Connor, I want to ask you your thoughts on tonight's starter for the Twins, Pablo Lopez, who they acquired in the trade in the offseason with the the Miami Marlins in which they gave up Luis Arias, who of course really did capture the imagination of baseball in the early stretch when he was threatening to try and become the first guy in Lord knows how long to hit 400. I think way back when, when uh, Ted Williams actually did it, right? Was he the last one, 406? Am I right here? Yeah, yeah. he was. Remember Gwynn, though, in that yes. strike short yes. season was giving it a good ride. So I would have been really interested to see what Tony could have done with that full season. But yeah, you're absolutely right. So of course, uh, Luis Arias, uh, you know, really did get out to a great stretch, but he's cooled off, as you would expect. It's just so hard to hit 400 in baseball, much less this version of baseball. But anyway, he's hitting 349. He's got an OPS of 853. He hit a couple home runs last night, and uh, that gave him a career high of nine. But am I crazy to say I still think I like what the Twins got in Pablo Lopez, a front-end starter, more than what the Miami Marlins got? No, I don't think you are at all, Jeff. And I think I think I agree with you. I definitely agree with you. And, and that's not to say that the Marlins didn't also do well in a trade. But Classic when I win-win. think about this, yeah, I you know most good trades hurt a little bit. That right? Mm-hmm. Most they aren't all. And, and folks in this town, and I, you know, it was the other side of town. But most trades aren't 
Scott Feldman and Mike Clevenger for Jake Arrieta and uh, oh my gosh, I'm spacing on the reliever that was there for years, but I love the guy and I don't know why. I know you've got his name. I'm just absolutely I don't say, right now. I'm, Pedro Strope. Pedro Strope. Thank you. Pedro Strope. Uh, most trades aren't that, you know. Most mm-hmm. trades aren't, you know, Brock for Brolio, and most trades aren't um, John Smoltz going to the Braves for you know. For, it's just it's not like that. Quintana so, for Cease and Aloy. Yes. It's not, it's just they're not all like that. Good trades hurt a little bit. And I think, yeah, you can look at this Twins offense as good as it is in terms of power and fly ball rate and stuff and go, this Twins offense would absolutely be better with Luis Arias in it. But I don't think you can look at the overall ball club and say that this team would be better than the 78 and 70 they are right now with Arias. And all the defensive limitations he has, yep. uh, and kind of the like. Listen, I don't mean to take anything away from the guy, but his offensive profile is a little one-dimensional. It's it's a very high batting average. The two home runs in the last night, notwithstanding, and and Pablo Lopez has been a steadying force for this rotation. I also think, I think of good starters as force multipliers too, because those extra outs that a top-tier guy can get, or, or forget top-tier, and let's just stick with a good second guy in the rotation. That next out you get, that extra out in the sixth, that next extra out in the seventh, or whatever, means that you've got less ground for your relievers to cover in that given game. But not just that game, also the next game. You saved bullets. Yep. And that's, I think that's a huge, huge thing in today's baseball because bullpen versatility and bullpen you know, usage is maybe the biggest factor in determining how far a team can go in, in a regular season. Obviously, the calculus changes all over again once you get to the playoffs. Cause, you know, it, it just does. It's a short series, and it all changes. But I think that's huge in navigating 162, and I, I think you have to judge the Minnesota Twins this year and, and Pablo Lopez, not just on his starts, but what those, you know, the opportunity cost of, of what another guy would have been for them. Now, they've gotten good pitching, you know, kind of up and down, and they, they may even go to a six-man, but Lopez has been really good, uh, save for a handful of starts right in the middle of the year, and I, I think it's the right trade for them for sure. Great stuff, Connor. We will be listening tonight when you're on the call with Darren Jackson. I will tell you, now obviously he won't come to the plate with the bases loaded because Royce Lewis is hitting third tonight but you might want to get those Grand Slam stats in early if you have to. Yeah, might have to. Hopefully hopefully we're not calling another one because that would just be rough. Yeah, no doubt about it. Connor, thanks for joining me, man. Appreciate it. We'll uh, hear you tonight. Appreciate you, Jeff. That is Connor McKnight. Of course, you know his voice. You hear him on White Sox Weekly usually. He is calling the night, uh, the game with Darren Jackson tonight here on ESPN 1000 and the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I am Jeff Meller filling in for him. I'll have your pregame, which begins at 5.30 tonight. Again, first pitch coming your way at 6.10 at Guaranteed Rate Field. Hey, have you missed out on a promotional item this season? Guess what? Your chance to join us at the ballpark tomorrow for Mystery Promo Day and receive a mystery promo item with every special ticket purchase. Limited quantities are available while supplies last. To purchase your specially priced ticket, visit whitesox.com slash mystery. All right. The White Sox, as I mentioned, it's been a rough season, 56-92 and 92 right now. Of course, the biggest news on the season was the fact that Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams were relieved of their duty, and Chris Getz was named the new general manager a couple weeks ago. 
Gordon Beckham weighed in on his former teammate Chris, Chris Getz and what he expects from him as general manager. He did that on the White Sox Talk podcast. I'll share some of the better sound bites with you right here on White Sox Weekly on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. It's simple. The ESPN Chicago app. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Jeff Meller, hanging out with you till 5.30 when I'll bring you the pregame coverage of White Sox and Twins at Guaranteed Rate Field as the Sox try and stop their four-game losing streak. Connor McKnight will be on the call along with Darren Jackson. First pitch coming your way tonight at 6.10. Obviously, Chris Getz has been under the microscope the last couple of weeks, and even though he's been under the microscope, there's not a whole lot to examine right now because he has had so little time to actually make any actual changes to the roster. Most of that will come, obviously, during the offseason and what he chooses to do with the White Sox organization moving forward. Of course, I think the biggest takeaway that you can make from what Jerry Reinsdorf said when he met the media a couple weeks ago before the introductory press conference with Chris Getz is that it was important to have a singular voice running this organization. And that is what I will cling to, hoping that that will get rid of some of this the dysfunction, is that you have somebody who will be making the decisions and you won't have multiple people with potentially different agendas driving what the franchise is doing. And it's... and sometimes conflicting with each other, right? So I think that is the biggest positive the White Sox have moving forward now, and hopefully Chris gets now that he'll have the autonomy to do what he wants to do and his help mold his vision of the White Sox organization. I think that is something that you can look at and say, all right, hopefully the Sox are moving now into a more positive direction. Gordon Beckham was on the White Sox Talk podcast. They do great work over at NBC Sports Chicago. If you're a Sox fan, check it out. They always uh, have great content there. And Gordon Beckham was on with Chuck Garfine, and he obviously was a teammate for a short period of time with Chris Getz. He's had lots of conversations with Chris Getz now, obviously being part of the broadcast team on NBC Sports Chicago at times. He's had lots of conversations with Chris Getz, throughout Chris Getz's time inside the Sox organization over the past seven years. And Gordon talked a little bit with Chuck Garfine about what kind of what I just alluded to, the idea of having two decision makers and how it maybe hindered the Sox previously. The dysfunction of having two decision makers is, yes. is we've always talked about it. It's just a weird dynamic. Right, and that because of the multiple decision makers uh, what ends up happening is you have a lot of uh, group think that ends up being yeah, and more harm than good. Think about it. If somebody is on on one guy's team yeah. and another guy's on like kind of is friends with him or buddies with the other guy they're going to create these factions within an organization and you just can't have that. Like you can't be like well that was his guy mm-hmm. or this was his this guy that was his decision. No this was his decision. It's like there needs to be 100% accountability, and it needs to rest on one person's place. And, I mean, luckily and maybe not luckily, it's on Chris's shoulders now. Yeah. And so he's going to have to deal with that. So that in itself, that change, I think, is a positive for the White Sox organization, is that you have one person in charge overseeing things, and now he can carry out his vision and not have to worry about somebody else potentially you know, getting in the mix and changing things and potentially causing problems that wouldn't arise if there's only one person who has the final say. 
Here's more from Gordon Beckham talking about needing to change the culture. The biggest thing he's got to change is the culture. You know, around the league now, okay, because of what's come out based on guys that have left the clubhouse, it's known that the White Sox clubhouse and the aura that they have is, is, is not been good. Mm -hmm. And they have got to find a way to change that. And that's going to be the hardest thing he's going to do. He's got, he's got to do, but he's got to find people that are willing to go out there and work their butts off and know that there is an accountability meter. And if you don't measure up to it, you're gone or you're going to get replaced by somebody that will. And if you have those ty that type of push on people to know that it's always on the line, I guarantee you're not going to see a lot of the stuff that you've seen this year. Changing the culture. Gordon Beckham saying that that's the biggest issue facing Chris Getz as he moves forward with the White Sox as their new general manager. And I think most people who have watched the Sox this year would agree. You know, at 56 and 92, this is far below what anybody probably thought was a potential low point, right? And you've brought this on yourself in some ways because once you make all the trades at the deadline to jettison a lot of your veteran players for, again, what was the right decision? I'm not saying that it wasn't the right move, but when you do that and you've struggled all year long, you're in all likelihood going to bring about many more losses into the season than maybe you originally anticipated because all of the pitching that would have at least helped carry you to maybe, you know, 70, 75 wins, a lot of that was moved at the deadline because pitching generally can bring you the biggest return at the trade deadline. So that is why the White Sox find themselves in a position now where they're fighting to avoid a 100 loss season at 56 and 92, having lost four straight. Here's a, here's a couple more from Gordon Beckham again on the White Sox talk podcast, where he talks about an issue that he talked about with Chris Getz regarding Oscar Colas. And I look at like someone like Oscar Colas, who was fast-tracked, in my opinion, to the major leagues. He had seven games or nine games in AAA, and he was deemed ready or close to ready. That's not, you know, for the major leagues this year. That doesn't sound like that was Chris's call. That was more of the front office of the previous regime with Rick and Kenny. Yeah, there, you know, there's, yeah, I, th I think that there was a thought that Oscar could step in, mm -hmm. and I think that, um, you know, I'm, I'm friends with Chris. I think in the, in the you know, off channel, he's telling me, like, I'm not so sure about this. Like, you know, I don't think he's ready. And, um, you know, it obviously played out that way this year. Um, but, you know, I, listen, at the end of the day, he's got chances now to make decisions like that. And, and, and he's going to have to, you know, make these decisions and, and wear it um, good or bad. So I think that's something when you hear Gordon Beckham talk about how Chris Getz wasn't all on board with promoting Oscar Colas to the majors. You hear Beckham relay that, and that's where you can, I think, put a little bit of faith into Chris Getz being handed the reins in this organization and saying, yeah, sure, he was the director of your farm system previously, but at the same time, he wasn't the final decision maker. So there were probably things that he didn't necessarily agree with when the White Sox organization was being run for the last 20 or so years by Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn. And so maybe you can see different paths forward with Chris Getz in charge. Finally, last thing from Gordon Beckham again on the White Sox Talk podcast, courtesy of NBC Sports Chicago, 
where he talked about what team he believes the White Sox should be emulating. In a lot of ways, the Rays are the, the blueprint. Yeah. They have guys that can play all over the field. They've got great pitching. Um, and then they develop guys really well, and they go out and make great off-season moves for low, like relatively low budget. Yeah. And these guys always seem to pan out. And that's partly because of the Rays organization, but partly because of their scouting and what they're what they're doing. So, I think that I think the White Sox are behind in scouting. I think they're going to have to vamp, re, like revamp that. You brought that up actually. He they they have to yeah, they have to that. compete. There are people out there that have. I don't know how many people in the front office of the White Sox are scouting and advanced analytics and all this stuff, but they have got to find people that are just pouring over data to find players that could, that could be useful. So there you go. Gordon Beckham talking about the Tampa Bay Rays as the organization in baseball that the White Sox should try to emulate. The, the Rays, remember, started the season out like a house of fire. I believe it was 13-0 if memory serves. They're, and they, obviously they hit a lull. They've suffered a great deal of injuries to a lot of their starting pitching. In fact, I think four of their starting pitchers from their five-man rotation to start the season are all out due to injury, a lot of them done for the year. Um, Tampa has actually come back and won the last three games, and the Baltimore Orioles have lost four in a row. And so the Rays have actually now tied the Baltimore Orioles atop the American League East. Um, in terms of records, so that that division is going to come down the stretch. No matter what happens, though, it's a good bet that both the Rays and Orioles will be playing playoff baseball. So not just the Rays, but even a team like the Baltimore Orioles, who have built up their team by drafting well, especially in those early rounds. Um, that is a team, both those teams in the American League East, those are a couple teams you can look at and say, hey, that is probably what you should try to be doing if you're Chris Getz because that's a way to build up your organization, look at it, and say that is sustainable success, right? Like not just go out and break the bank on some key veteran players who may or may not give you what you're paying for because when you go out and you spend in free agency, certainly it can be a good quick fix, but oftentimes you end up regretting those big money deals if they go on for six, seven, eight, nine, ten plus years, right? And so you need to spend prudently and you need to make the right decisions when you're drafting players and developing them. That is the best way to have success in Major League Baseball these days, as you can see with both the Tampa Bay Rays and the Baltimore Orioles. I'm Jeff Meller. This is White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000 and the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Sox fans, join us for Miller Lite Baseball and Brews starting at only $19. This offer includes one ticket and two beers to new and expanded seating locations across the ballpark. You must be 21 and over with a valid ID to purchase tickets. Visit whitesocks.com slash brews. All right, up next, I have a special treat for you. No matter what is going on with the, uh, the wins and losses, you always know the White Sox look good in silver and black. And I am going to share with you a little piece of the brand new hip-hop documentary available regarding the White Sox and their rebrand when they changed the logo and uniform way back in the early 90s when Frank Thomas was breaking in. It's a great documentary. I highly encourage you to check it out. You're going to love it if you're a Sox fan. If you grew up in the 90s, you are absolutely going to love the nostalgia. And if you didn't, 
it's a great way to check out and learn how the White Sox hat became synonymous with hip-hop. We're going to share a little bit of that with you next, right here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Get weird with Waddle's World on ESPN Chicago. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I am Jeff Meller hanging out with you on White Sox Weekly until 5.30. Then I'll have your pregame coverage of White Sox and Twins ahead of first pitch, which will come your way at 6.10. Connor McKnight on the call along with Darren Jackson. All right. I mentioned this great new documentary available courtesy of the White Sox, which if you grew up in the 90s like I did, it is a a fantastic look back. The nostalgia is great, but of course, celebrating 50 years of hip hop also this year is extremely important. And it just uh, you'll you'll check it out. I promise you, you will love it. But I'm going to give you a little bit of a sample here because Sox fans, this exclusive documentary fitted in black, how hip hop fueled the greatest rebrand in sports presented by New Era. It's here. Fitted in Black tells the story of how the White Sox ball cap became an iconic symbol in hip hop culture. Head to whitesox.com slash fitted in black to watch it today. Here is a small sample of it. I guarantee you, you will love it if you're a Sox fan. And if you, uh, even if you're not, and you're just a fan of the uh, logo, how can you not be if you just wear a Sox cap? You will love this. Check it out. If you go back and you watch a lot of those old West Coast hip hop videos, there's White Sox hats everywhere. This is part of the uniform. It's over 30 years where it's been a mainstay and it's synonymous with hip hop. I think it's time to tell the story and it's time for it to be celebrated. These artists had adopted it, it was exploding. It was like wildfire. They made a statement, but we had the players to back it up. It had gotten bigger than any of us had ever imagined. We're still rocking the black, but it's a new day. I would say it's been the most successful rebrand in sports. about that iconic White Sox hat. I think about hip-hop and rock stars. I think about the love of sports and how it blends into pop culture. That black and white, man, that black and white works. It works for everything. And the old English letters, I don't know who your marketing guys that came up with the genius of using old English letters, but that was special too. <laughs> I'm Michael Busek. I was director of marketing and broadcasting with the White Sox from 1989 through January of 1996. The White Sox brand, when I arrived in 1988, had been badly bruised, let's say. The team had won the American League West in 1983, but then from 84 through 89 was really a rough stretch, both on the field and then there was the off the field challenge of trying to replace Old Comiskey Park, which was crumbling. I think there was a lot of feedback coming from fans back in those days. There was an email, there was uh, old-style fan mail, you know, letters that would come to Jerry expressing a desire to return back to a more traditional White Sox look. Yo, what's up, everyone? It's your resident Chicago urban historian, Sherman Dilla Thomas, here to tell you about the non-traditional White Sox looks. See, between 1969 and 1989, there wasn't a lot of focus on the color white or on socks. There was a lot of focus on red and blue and baby blue and more red. There were collars, big collars and shorts. 
Yes, shorts. I don't know about any of you, but I'm not interested in seeing anyone's knees. Now, some of those uniforms were awesome, like 83. Yes, I'm looking at you, 83. But the rest of those, they had to go. And not only that, there was no common thread. The only common thread was that there was no common thread. We had people like Bo and Ozzy and Frank coming to town. And it was time to make an impact on a new decade. Isn't that right, Big Hurt? I mean, when I got here, I couldn't stand the old uniforms. They were just outdated. I mean, I think this team, we had a lot of great young players coming. The organization was making a turn. And I think we were one uniform away to making a statement in the early 90s. His first major league homer. It was, you know, pretty common theme all the way through, you know, 1989, and certainly as we were preparing to move into a new ballpark. The first step was to bring in a designer, and Rob had collaborated with a gentleman named John Hatzikalfis from New York. And I was looking at the uniforms of the Yankees, and I thought, one, uh, dark colors, and two, pinstripes. They're timeless. We started doing our research, and we found that there was a great deal of affection for the uniforms that the Sox wore in the 50s. The old English logo had been used going back to 1949, but over the years, the proportions and colors had changed, so I sent John some variations of that, and he began deconstructing and redesigning it. He straightened all those lines out and made them consistent, which made the logo just a lot cleaner. But once he made that small, subtle change, I knew he nailed it. You know, we grew up putting old English-style lettering on our clothes, you know, like ironing on letters, you know, it was the old English style. But that style lettering has always been a part of, you know, the street culture. I felt very strongly that we had to ditch blue and red. We were one of 13 teams at that time that were wearing some form of blue and red, some shade of blue and red. I told him I was thinking actually about navy and silver. Uh, and we happened to ask a designer, well, what are the hot colors of the 90s going to be? And instantly he said, well, it's going to be silver and black. Rob said, let's get some samples made in both navy and silver and black and silver. So that's what we did. Mike actually took the uniforms to a neighborhood block party on the southwest side and then um, lay these jerseys over the, a couch or put them on chairs and then bring people back into the room and let them see it and give us their opinion. And it was almost unanimous when people would see these samples laid out and they would immediately be drawn to the black and silver one with pinstripes. It was unanimous. They feel it. They didn't pick it. They felt it. The White Sox allowing the people to, to build its brand and see themselves in it helped shape what that is today. You know, you've seen that Yankee uniform for so long when you saw black and white pinstripes, the, the black tops and the white on white pants. It made a statement, but we had the players to back it up. Ground ball to Ozzy, diving stop, gloves to second out, on the first out, double play. He's got it, Wilson Alvarez with a no-hitter for the White Sox. Swing and a high, deep drive into center field, a way back, way back, grand slam! It felt very much like this is our team, very blue collar. You know, the aesthetic just really played to kind of the way that I describe our city. It's a beautiful grittiness, right? And, and it's a it's a hardcore 
aggressiveness, but it's also like a purity to it. When the Sox came out with the new rebranding, the new look, it just spoke to me. I had established myself as a force to be reckoned with as a solo artist with America's Most Wanted and then Kill It Will. And, and here we go with a new album and a new look. Yeah, I didn't want to return just straight with the Raiders look because it felt like I was, you know, leaning on the N.W.A. legacy. We was looking for something cool to set us apart. We still like the black, but when the socks changed their colors, the socks hat came out, this one right here, strangely spoke to us, you know, like, yo, this is, this edgy, this, this, this is new flavor. And it felt like, yo, this is a new attitude for baseball. The Steady Mob, okay, yeah, I remember that. You know, I shot that video in my neighborhood. And I just remember feeling fresh and new. It was cool, and Ice Cube made it look really cool in the video. I think automatically, just, just based on that, everybody ran out and got the hat. By August of 1991, White Sox merchandise was number one in sales nationally, according to Major League Baseball properties. The hat absolutely exploded. In 1990, the New Era Hat Company made 9,000 White Sox hats. In 1991, they made 544,000. Right after the hats were debuted, Jerry Reinsdorf went to a Tucson, Arizona store to buy a hat. They didn't have any. And the owner of the store said, I can't get any. I could sell all I could get, but I can't get any. When 1992 rolls around, The Chronic comes out. And what's the first single from The Chronic? The first single from The Chronic is nothing but a G-thing. What's the hat that he has on in that video? A Chicago White Sox hat. And The Chronic... You know, it changed music. It's it's easily one of the most important hip-hop albums of all time. If not top five, it changed the genre. It changed the sound. It changed how people dressed. So then the, the White Sox hat explodes. Everybody is wearing a White Sox hat. We're wondering, what is this? Is this the uniform? Like, this isn't every rap video now. This is stuff that's running once or twice an hour on, on Rap City and, and UMTV Raps. And I realized when it was getting big because I received a call from Major League Baseball asking me if I was sending hats to rap artists and MTV. No, um, that's organic. Obviously, it had, uh, it had gotten bigger than any of us had ever imagined. Hip-hop is just the most influential cultural force on the planet, so it's only right that the fashion would be driven by hip-hop. Love that, man. Great, like I said, great documentary available right now at whitesocks.com slash black. It is the uh, Fitted in Black documentary, How Hip-Hop Helped Fuel the Greatest Rebrand in Sports, presented by New Era. That's just a small sample of it, and I highly recommend if you're a Sox fan, if you're somebody who wants to know a little bit about the history of the silver and black and how the logo game came to be, I highly recommend you check it out. Or if you're someone like me who grew up in the 90s, you will love all the great nostalgia uh, of the chronic, as I mentioned, Dr. Dre, um, Ice Cube, obviously prominently displaying the Sox hat in a lot of his videos. So great stuff. Check it out. I highly recommend it. You will enjoy it. And as well as it played on radio, I promise you, the visuals are great too. So it is definitely worth your time. Check it out. You will not be disappointed if you're a Sox fan. 
312-332-3776. You want to talk a little Sacks with me until 530 when we bring you the pregame coverage of Sacks and Twins. We'll do that. Of course, first pitch coming your way at 610 tonight as Tuki Toussaint will take the mound for the Sox up against Pablo Lopez of the Minnesota Twins. In about a little less than eight minutes from now, Bobby Nightingale Jr., who covers the Twins for the Minnesota Star Tribune, will be joining me. But before we do that, I'll give you the uh, White Sox lineup in two short minutes here on ESPN 1000, the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Greeny 10 to noon weekdays, ESPN Chicago. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. I'm Jeff Meller, hanging out with you till 5.30 when I'll have your pregame coverage of Sox and Twins at Guaranteed Rate Field tonight. Twins have won the first two of this series. The Sox look to stop their four-game losing streak right now. It's been a tough, tough week for the White Sox. But as I've already spent a good deal of time on Royce Lewis so far, perfect opportunity to bring in Bobby Nightingale Jr., who covers the Twins for the Minnesota Star Tribune and Bobby, thanks so much for your time today. That's where I want to start, though. I mean, when a guy has five grand slams in his rookie season and four in his last 18 games, I think he forces you to talk about it, even when it's the White Sox weekly here. But, I mean, tell me a little bit about Royce Lewis and just the the ridiculous run he's on right now. Yeah, I mean, he's kind of exceeded expectations, if that's possible, for a guy who was a number one overall pick. (laughs) I mean, just kind of the way he's... He, he doesn't have a ton of experience. I mean, he, he's only played 66 career games, uh, barely played in AAA just because uh, the last two years he's torn his ACL. Um, so he's really missed the last two years. And then he had the 2020, he didn't get to play in the minor leagues because of the COVID season. Um, so you're looking at basically he's barely played at all the last three years. He's come in. Uh, you know, they're, they're hoping he'd provide a lift when he came off the injured list this year. He started the year in May. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he's been a huge uplift to the entire lineup. He's been hitting all season. Uh, the Grand Slams are a part of it, but he's also hitting above 300. He's drawing a ton of walks right now. So, um, yeah, I mean, everyone kind of knew he had talent. There's a reason he was the number one overall pick in his draft class. But um, the fact what what he's doing, I mean, the Grand Slams, as you mentioned, four within three weeks, um, you know, that, that just doesn't happen. So, I mean, that, that's pretty incredible the run he's on. Yeah, no doubt about it. It's been absolutely insane. How about uh, the man who's leading off in DHing tonight? He's been uh, he's played second base, third base at times for the Twins. Edward Julian has uh, been a a uh, you know he was sent down early in the year and he came back and he's getting on base at a high clip. I mean, he's been one of those revelations. I look at from the outside saying, "Wow, he really is a driver for this uh, lineup." Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's one of those kind of old school. Gets on base a ton. I mean, he doesn't have a ton of speed. He's dealing with a hamstring injury right now, too. So um, that slowed him down. But he's just a guy who draws a ton of walks. I mean, uh, if you look at kind of like his strikeout numbers, I I think he he probably leads the league in like called third strikes just because he's a guy, I mean, if it's barely out of the zone, he he has the instincts not to swing at it. Mm -hmm. No, no, might call it and he's out because of it. Um, But he's one of those guys where you can see kind of he grew up with the uh, automated strike zone system and he took advantage of it because he does not expand to the. Uh, out of the zone, so I mean, he's used that to his advantage. He has probably more power than you know than he looks offside. I mean, I think he has 13 homers this year too. Um, so I mean, he, he does a good job commanding the strike zone. He's been a huge uh, threat out of the leadoff spot, and I mean, he's the guy who, you know, when he got called up, uh, Jorge Polanco was injured, and it was almost kind of like, okay, when Jorge Polanco comes back, um, you know, he'll he'll kind of bounce between, or maybe he'll be a utility guy, um, and they forced. He forced Jorge Blanco to change positions briefly, um, and, and now with Byron Buxton hurt, he gets to be DH a lot. So 
uh, kind of turned himself into a fixture in the lineup, which wasn't the expectation at the beginning of the year. Bobby Nightingale Jr. joining me here on White Sox Weekly. He covers the Twins for the Minnesota Star Tribune. You brought up Jorge Polanco, so I'll go right to him. He looks like he's finally back and healthy and closer to the version that he was a few years ago when he was you know, legitimately uh, in the MVP conversation. Uh, is, he, is he finally healthy? What's the difference for him? Yeah, I think health's been the main thing. I mean, I forgot how many games he's missed over the last two years, but, I mean, it's been a number of them. Um, so health has been kind of the one thing that's held him back. And um, I think it also helps. I mean, he doesn't have to be the star of the lineup. I think, you know, you talk, we talked about Julian and Lewis um, having those guys, then Carlos Correa, and then Buxton when he's healthy. Um, you know, he doesn't have to be, you know, Max Kepler City too. So he doesn't have to be the guy that, like, okay, you perform, the offense goes as you go. Um, you can be more of a complimentary guy. And I think that kind of brought out the best of him offensively, being like, okay, the opposing pitchers probably aren't studying him and circling his name and being like, this is the one guy we can't let beat us. He's probably getting more pitches to see, and um, he's obviously taking advantage of it. So we just ran through a bunch of players who all have middle infield eligibility or you know can do that can play first base if needed uh third base if needed as royce lewis has kind of shifted there in his career is that what made it easy for the twins to trade luis arias in the offseason for pablo lopez who's pitching tonight and really has been i think uh one of the one of the main pieces for why the twins have had so much success this year yeah, I do think that was a part of it. And also, you know, Rice had some injury history, too, with uh, Minnesota. But, I mean, they knew what they were giving up, a, a batting champion. I mean, they knew, it wasn't like, you know, when he was flirting with 400 at the beginning, in the in the middle of the mm-hmm. summer, it wasn't like the Twins were shocked that he was hitting that well. Um, they knew what they had to give up. But it was also, like, like we've talked about, I mean, Polanco, Julian, uh, Royce Lewis, I mean, those three had to play. You got Correa back um, before they made that trade. So, I mean, your starting infield was pretty much set. Um, their top prospect, Brooks Lee, uh, was a first-round pick last year. He's already in AAA. So, um, you know, middle infield depth, I mean, that, that's probably one of their strongest areas. Um, and it gave them – Pablo Lopez has kind of turned – he's had the best season of his career. Um, he added the slider, and that's really turned kind of his season uh, into one of his best. He already has over 200 strikeouts. He might get down-ballot Cy Young votes. So, um, adding an ace to your rotation, I, I'd expect him to start game one in the postseason. Um, you know, Arise is a lot to give up, but I, I think they got a lot back. Yeah, I mean, I look at it from the outside and I say no regrets. When you get a guy who's, you know, close to a front of the rotation starter, you're never going to uh, regret, even though it's, it's kind of one of those win-win trades, right, for both sides. They're both probably pretty happy with the way it worked out. Bobby Nightingale Jr. joining me here on White Sox Weekly on the ESP 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Jeff Meller, bringing you up to our pregame coverage, which begins at 5.30 tonight. Bobby what is the hope for the Twins uh, as they look like they're, you know, basically have the AL Central essentially locked up here, everything but clinched? I mean, what are the expectations for them as they get set to head into a very, you know, what's loaded AL uh, American League playoff here? Yeah, I mean, I mean, first off, I mean, they just need to stay healthy. I think that's kind of their, their biggest focus. Carlos Correa just, he played yesterday, but he had a couple of days off. He's been dealing with the uh, plantar fasciitis all season, so just a couple of days to get him off his feet. I, I think as they as they get closer to clinching, and right, especially after they clinch, um, you're going to see that a lot more with other guys. Where um, you know they'll, they'll have a week where they can pretty much take it easy and then kind of gear up for whoever the the last wild card team is. Um, but I mean, you have to remember. I mean, this is a franchise that hasn't won a playoff game, not just a playoff series, but a playoff game since I think 2002. Um, they lost 18 straight playoff games. So I mean, that's kind of the the big elephant in the organization. I don't know if the players wear that that much. I mean, mm-hmm. not obviously none of them were around the entire time and few were a part of, you know, any playoff losses, but 
um, you know, that's something that the fan base thinks a lot about is, you know, they haven't won a playoff game. They've lost 18 straight playoff games. So um, ending that streak and keeping guys healthy for that is kind of the primary focus. So then how, you know, obviously we're yet to be yet to get there, but how do you think they will line up their playoff rotation? They've got a, you know, somewhat, they're looking at riches here with the starters that they have available to them. So how do you think they line up going into a, uh, you know, a short series? Yeah, I think the, the the way they have it ordered right now, and you know, starting today, Pablo Lopez, Sonny Gray tomorrow, and then uh, Joe Ryan on Monday. I think those are the three that you go into a three-game series. That's who you want. Um, Bailey Ober and Kente Maeda, the, they're pushing for, like, number four. Um, both probably could be bullpen guys. Um, so, I mean, I, I think starting pitching-wise, I mean, they have to be feeling as good as anybody. You look around the league, like, you know, Max Scherzer's out for the season for Texas. Um you know, the wildcard teams are probably going to have to use their top starters to earn spots. So, um, you know, the, the the way they're able to line it up, I, th- I think they'll probably keep it the way it is now where uh, Lopez is game one and then Sonny Gray game two. I think he's second in the American League in ERA. So, um, you know, a great one-two punch for them. Bobby, uh, last thing I have for you before I let you go. Carlos Correa, you talked about him dealing with injuries this year. Um, of course, he failed a couple of physicals, which would have resulted in big money deals and ultimately he heads back to the Minnesota Twins what is the outlook for him in regards to his career do they think with an offseason he can get back to being the uh the, the healthy player next year when he he'll be in his age 29 season or is there some legitimate concern that he may um you know be dealing with injuries that prevent him from being the player that they ultimately hoped they were signing yeah I think they're I think they're comfortable I mean it's Fortunately, this, the plantar fasciitis is the other leg than the one that um, kind of got the red flag and the medical reviews with the Giants and the Mets. Um, so, I mean, the, the, the leg obviously is going to be something he's going to have to watch out for. Um, you know, maybe eventually it moves him off shortstop. But I think for now, I mean, I think they just look at it as, um, you know, it's an unfortunate injury. Plantar fasciitis is something that it takes a couple months to go away, so he's going to have to wait till the off season. But they feel like he can still be, you know, the the Gold Glove shortstop, the middle of the order bat who can, um, you know, carry him a long way. And they feel like, you know, the, the I think they have four team options after the six year contract. So um, I, I think they feel like, you know, they're in a good spot mm-hmm. too. With, you know, they didn't have to do maybe the twelve or thirteen year deals that you saw. Um, some shortstop sign in the offseason. Okay, Bobby, I lied. One more last thing. I want to ask you, what's your thought on the White Sox and how the organization looks from the outside looking in here? Because, of course, we're, we know we've got them under the microscope each and every day here, but it certainly has been, it has gone awry in so many different ways. What's your thought about how the White Sox look as an organization as they try and move forward with Chris Getz as their new general manager here? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously a big, uh, you know, a shift when you when Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn aren't in charge anymore. But I think going into the offseason, I think that'll tell you a lot. I mean, I know they've talked about wanting to be competitive. You know, Jerry Reinsdorf, I, I know for sure, is probably not a guy who's going to want to do a long-term rebuild. But you look at what they got back in the trades, it seems like they did well there. Um, you know, I, I, I think it's tough to kind of thread that needle where you try to stay competitive and not, um, you know, when, when things go awry and, still be competitive the next year. Um, it seems like that's the hardest thing to do for any team compared to, to peeling it back and rebuilding for a couple of years. So I wouldn't be shocked if they try it and it fails and then you have to do the rebuild. But, um, you know, the, the, I think they have some young pieces, the Montgomery prospect. Um, I know a lot of people are excited about him. So, um, you know, the talent's there. I, th- I think the talent core is there. But it kind of reminds me of, like, the Reds where you, you tried to thread it. Um, the Reds lost 100 games last year, and then a lot of the guys they got from trades before that 
um, or help him this year where they're in a playoff race. So I, 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 could, I could see it where like two, three years they're more dangerous than they are next year. Good stuff. Thanks for the insight, Bobby. Appreciate it, my man. Yeah, thanks for having me. That is Bobby Nightingale Jr. Again, he covers the Twins for the Minnesota Star Tribune. We appreciate his insight on the Twins, who will be taking on the White Sox tonight. At Guaranteed Rate Field, Tuki Toussaint on the mound for the Sox, up against Pablo Lopez for the Minnesota Twins. Hey, White Sox, get to the ballpark early for Hispanic Heritage Night, presented by Modelo. Celebrate with friends and family as the White Sox take on the Padres at 6.10 p.m. The first 10,000 fans, 21 and older, will receive a La Catrina bobblehead. And be sure to stay after the game for a post-game fireworks show. That is September 30th, by the way. I don't know if I mentioned that at the top. So that is uh, September 30th. Go out there to purchase tickets. Visit WhiteSox.com slash promos. I'm Jeff Miller. This is White Sox Weekly. Before we take a quick time out here, let's pause 10 seconds for a legal ID. Live from the Old National Bank State Street Studio, this is WMVP WSAG HD2, Chicago, a good karma brand's radio station. Welcome back. I'm Jeff Meller. This is White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. When we come back, I will play for you what was no doubt the best moment of the White Sox season, and we'll hear for, from the man who was responsible for it. He'll tell us a little bit about it and how it came about. I'll share that with you next here on ESPN One. I'm Jeff Meller, hanging out with you till 5.30 when pregame coverage of White Sox and Twins will begin live at Guarantee Rate Field tonight. I'll take you up until about 6 o'clock, then, when, then you'll hear from Connor and DJ. First pitch coming your way at 6.10 tonight, and I just got notified by Brendan Riley, our executive producer of White Sox Baseball, that... Jacob Gonzalez, the White Sox prospect and uh, first-round pick, will be joining Connor and DJ during tonight's broadcast, I believe, in the third inning. So that should be a fun little treat for all you White Sox fans out there. Sox fans, a 2024 ticket plan is available for you now. Be here for the biggest matchups and exciting new promotions throughout the season, including opening day on March 28th. Our ticket plans include great benefits such as ticket exchange program, special events, Savings on single games and more. For more information, visit whitesocks.com slash 2024. All right, so I mentioned my favorite moments of the White Sox season so far this year. And I, I truly do believe that there is nothing else that even comes close, in my opinion. Uh, maybe, you, maybe you would argue. Maybe you have one that I'm not thinking of. But even... If you do, I'm going to tell you that I think the moment I'm about to play for you was by far and away better than whatever you're thinking of. Maybe it slipped your mind because it's been a rough season for Sox fans, and you know, you know, there's some things you don't want to you don't want to remember, and I understand that. But for my money, the best moments of the White Sox season occurred earlier this year when Liam Hendricks returned from non-Hodgkin's lymphoma after undergoing chemotherapy and returning to the majors after his bout, after beating cancer, returning to the mound, and returning to this ovation from the crowd. And let us see if indeed that phone call that he's been waiting for for months upon months has come. He's got the game face on. You would think he's coming in. 
One drink of water, two drinks of water, and one ball of emotion. A healthy one at that coming out. Liam Hendricks has said that he may have been pitching with cancer in his body in 21 and 22. His wife, Christy, has got to be a complete and utter tangle of emotions right now. Well, I believe this moment, coming in from the bullpen with the lights flickering on and off, I think this probably got Liam through some very dark times. I'm interested to see the velocity on the first couple of pitches because I know he normally pitches with an astonishing amount of adrenaline, but maybe not near as much as he's got going tonight. That look he gave right before maybe the second warm-up pitch with his head to the side and the eyes rolling said, here goes nothing. That's it. Welcome back, Liam Hendricks. Well, he, he won the biggest battle of his life already. Now it's time to go out and win this one. Christy has been through so much. Yes. This moment is so much for her as it is for him. Well, I love the fact that Thice is not getting in the batter's box. He is standing off to the side, allowing Liam to get all the accolades he richly deserves. him in an effort to be kind first pitch Liam Hendricks 96 strike one and they're going to take that baseball out of the game and Liam is going to take that ball and keep it for the rest of his life May 29th 2023 for my money the best moment of the White Sox season when Liam Hendricks returned after his bout with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma after undergoing chemotherapy ringing the bell signifying that he was cancer-free and then returning to the mound at guaranteed rate field back on that night late in May. The highlights, courtesy of NBC Sports Chicago, Jason Benetti and Steve Stone, of course, on the call there. And uh, for my money, far and away, the best moment of the White Sox season and what has been a, a tough year for Sox fans, that moment can never be taken away. And it was very cool to see him do that, of course, we have since gotten news that he, being Liam Hendricks, suffered a torn UCL. He has to has had to undergo another Tommy John surgery, something that he's already battled his way back from in his career. And, of course, very disappointing news when we got word about that. Of course, not, you know, I, I, you never want to, you know, we, we had known that Liam Hendricks had pitched with a tear in his UCL in previous seasons. Uh, he had talked about that, knowing that it was a possibility at some point that it would tear and that he might have to undergo Tommy John surgery. But 
Liam did want to battle back. Of course, he did receive the Jimmy V Award at the ESPYs this past year for his perseverance. Well-earned, no doubt. Um, Liam talked earlier this week about what he's gone through and um, actually pitching with a torn UCL. Am I happy with what has transpired? No. Am I happy with the events that got me to where I'm at? Yes. Look, I came back. I accomplished what I wanted to. The minimum of what I wanted to. But I accomplished what I wanted to with. I got a save. I got two wins. I was able to get five games in. Um, yeah, that. but I also know that, look, this happened before that. This was while before my rehab assignment, but I refused to. Like, that's what I say. Everyone who says I rushed, but there was no rushing back. There was no. I threw more bullpens than everybody else in this league. Um, there was no rushing back at all. But I also knew that there was a time where I'm pretty sure it was done before I even started my rehab assignment. But there was no way in hell I wasn't making it back this year. Wait, wait. You think you may have done it before your well, rehab I assignment? Tell you that much right now. I already knew that. The, I, these guys didn't know as much, but look, it happened. I. There's no way that the pain that I had even before on my rehab assignment, I've got pain all the time, but this was lingering and stuck around. And look, it's um, there was no way I wasn't getting back. I flipped over every stone to make sure I could get back. I flipped over every stone on my rehab trying to get back from getting back when I went on the IL. So look, it's um, unfortunately it, it was part and parcel of the way it happened this year, but I held absolutely no regrets of the way it went about. Um, and you can see in my stuff, my stuff started to deteriorate a little bit the last couple games. Uh, my rehab assignment started to tick up a little bit where I was starting to get used to it a little bit more. But, yeah, there was uh, – I haven't thrown a single pitch without pain since probably the start of May. So your arm was – or elbow was barking while you were on the mound. Yeah. It, um, but, look, you learn how to get through things. That's what being in the bullpen is. That's what being an athlete is. You learn how to play through things. You learn that – at some point, you need to re- recognize what's pain and what's hurt. I mean, I had all of it. So, but I also knew what my timeline was. Like, if I if I didn't get back, I mean, this would have happened earlier. Yeah, I'd be back for next year. But I refuse to not be back this year. I refuse to not put my best foot forward for this team and try and get back as soon as I can. And uh, look, I wanted to be around these guys. I wanted to be here. I wanted to travel with the boys. I wanted to be a uh, hopefully a positive influence on these guys. And look. We've got a bunch of young guys in that bullpen now that we can potentially influence and hopefully get in the right frame of mind, the right track for next year. That was Liam Hendricks earlier this week discussing his return to the mound after his bout beating non-Hodgkin's lymphoma after undergoing chemotherapy and telling us that he knew his UCL was torn and he was pitching through it. He was dealing with the pain in early May, but... He wasn't going to let that stop him from getting back out there on the mound and providing, again, in my opinion, the best moment of the White Sox season, seeing him enter the game from the bullpen, hearing the crowd give him that undeniable ovation that he so richly deserved after fighting through some of the darkest days I can't imagine a a human should have to deal with and doing what he did and just... Everything he's done for so many people, not just in baseball, but he's been a champion for causes that plenty of people, the, you know, what he's done using his platform to speak for those who don't have the platform that he does. He's constantly a champion for causes that I think most people would agree um, are worth fighting for. And so he's an all-around one of the best guys in baseball. And so for him to have that moment, provide that moment, 
knowing that he was in all likelihood probably going to have to undergo Tommy John surgery at some point. I mean, to hear him tell it, just wanting to get out there back on the mound, fighting through cancer and beating cancer. And so for him to do that and then share those comments earlier in the week, I thought it was worth sharing with you. Truly one of uh, the best people in baseball um, in for my money. So glad that he is a member of the White Sox, hoping he can get healed up and back on the mound in all likelihood, probably for the 2025 season. But you never know. Maybe maybe he can make it back late in the 2024 season. Nevertheless, though, um, he's a guy who I will always be rooting for, whether he's wearing the White Sox uniform or a different one. He's one of my favorite people in baseball. So uh, glad that he had that moment to share with White Sox fans and uh, his wife, Christy. So Liam Hendricks there on his return from chemotherapy and getting back out there on the mound. I'm Jeff Meller. This is White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000, the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network, getting you set for White Sox and Twins pregame coverage, which will come your way at 530. I'll be on the pregame for you, and then Connor McKnight will be alongside Darren Jackson. They will be coming your way right around 6 o'clock with first pitch of White Sox Twins at 610 at Guaranteed Rate Field tonight as Tuki Toussaint will be pitching for the White Sox up against Pablo Lopez for the Minnesota Twins as the Sox look to snap their four-game losing streak. Plenty more to come. We'll wrap things up on White Sox Weekly and then get you set with the pregame show right here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Follow Chicago's Home for Sports on Instagram at ESPN underscore Chicago. Back here on White Sox Weekly, I'm Jeff Meller getting you set for White Sox and Twins. Pre-game coverage will begin at 5.30. I've got a family pack offer for all you Sox fans out there. Bring your family to a White Sox game with a family pack presented by ExxonMobil. Your family will get one ticket, hot dog, drink, and chips to select games starting at $19 per ticket. Plus, with every purchase, you have a chance to win mobile gasoline for a year. For tickets, visit WhiteSox.com family for that family pack offer. All right, it's around baseball. Big news today, Shohei Otani's season is officially over. He suffered an oblique injury in addition to the torn UCL, which he's going to be having a procedure on here in the next few days. But Otani had been still hitting for the Angels over the last few weeks since that elbow injury ended his season as a pitcher. But now, last night, his locker was empty and when reporters came into the clubhouse, there was word that the Angels would provide an update on Saturday, and they indeed have. They have said that he, they have moved Otani to the injured list, and he will now miss the remainder of the season. Of course, Otani at this point is virtually a lock to win the American League MVP for what will be the second time in the past three years. Otani, of course, has been dominant both in the hitter's box and, of course, on the mound. Otani, his season now is going to conclude. He's going to end up hitting 304 with an on-base of 412, a slug of 654. While Lee, he currently leads the American League in home runs with 44. He also leads with walks, 91. He has the most total bases in the league at 325. And, of course, on the mound, Otani went 10-5. and five with a 3.14 ERA in 132 innings as a pitcher while striking out 
167 hitters. He has a war, of course, wins above replacement, which easily leads to majors of 9.0. And um, my guess is he'll probably still end up leading the league when all is said and done at the end of the season, barring uh, an epic uh, run by maybe Mookie Betts over the last couple weeks here, but uh, that seems unlikely. Uh, Ronald Acuna will probably not catch him as he is currently dealing with a calf injury of his own. He's ex- he's not going to play today. He's uh, going to probably miss a couple games over the next couple of days while the Braves look to get their MVP candidate right as they approach, of course, the playoffs. And uh, another piece of Angels news here, Anthony Rendon says that uh, the injury he's been dealing with is actually a fractured tibia, not a bone bruise. He, of course, the... World Series champion for the Washington Nationals who signed a big money deal with the Los Angeles Angels, and he's been marred by injuries. He's still owed $114 million over the next three seasons by the Angels in in what has been just uh, an absolute nightmare for the team that has tried to surround Shohei Otani with talent, but of course, a lot of it hasn't been able to stay healthy, and in addition to that, when the, the when they have, they haven't really produced at the levels that they uh, thought they were getting when they paid those free agents. So Rendon, again, suffering what he has said is a fractured tibia. Um, for a White Sox minor league report, as we mentioned, Jacob Gonzalez will be joining Connor McKnight and Darren Jackson in the booth in tonight's broadcast around the third inning. Jacob Gonzalez, the 2023 first-round pick of the White Sox, he reached base safely in the in the final 21 straight games to end his season. He had 16 hits and 17 walks over that period of time for Class A Canapolis. For some other minor league notes, Xavier Fernandez uh, the, for the AAA Charlotte Knights hit 345 with a 407 on base and a 551 slug. 12 doubles, 5 home runs, 15 ribbies, and 18 runs scored since having been promoted to Charlotte back on June 28th. Yoelki Cespedes has gone 5 for 13 with a double, a home run, and 3 ribbies and 5 runs over his last six. Uh, I'm sorry, his last three games with the Knights. This was all prior to uh, last night. Garrett Crochet tossed a scoreless inning uh, with one hit allowed, striking out two in his first injury rehab move with uh, Charlotte. Um, he was promoted to AAA Charlotte this uh, pre- earlier in the week. And then um, for Class AA Birmingham, the Barons, Colson Montgomery reached base safely in 33 of his last 34 games, batting 235, but had an on base of 397 and a slug of 420 with six doubles, two triples, four homers, 21 RBI, 24 runs scored, and 23 walks, including nine hit by pitches. Get that man. Uh, an elbow brace, so if he's getting hit by all those pitches, right? Uh, Edgar Caro, the prospect for the White Sox, who they got in the Lucas Giolito Ronaldo Lopez deal from the Angels, he is currently hitting 280 with a 372 on base and a 402 slug with four doubles, three home runs, 21 RBIs, and 17 walks in 30 games with the Barons since being acquired from the Angels. So there you go. There is your White Sox minor league reports. From earlier today, 
I'm Jeff Meller. This is White Sox Weekly as we wrap things up here, getting you set for White Sox and Twins. Again, first pitch tonight at 610. Pre-game coverage will start in about five minutes at 530. I'll have all your pre-game information, including the Sox lineup and an inside look at the pitching matchup tonight. And, of course, we'll let you hear from White Sox manager Pedro Grafal, as we always do as he sits down with Len Casper before every game. White Sox look to get set and uh, snap this four-game losing streak they're currently on again. They've lost six of their last seven, so can they avoid losing 100 games this year? I think that is really the key move for the White Sox here as they try and uh, avoid the old triple-digit loss season on the year. Again, it will be Tuki Toussaint on the mound for Pedro Lopez, but we'll dive deep into that on the pregame show. As we get you set for that, around baseball quickly, Red Sox, Blue Jays tied up at two in the 11th inning. Padres on top of the A's, 5-2. to two. The Braves are tied up with the Marlins, 5-5. And everything else around baseball getting set to get underway here later today. That does it for us on White Sox, White Sox Weekly. Thanks to Brendan Riley and Kendra Smith. I'll talk to you in a few short minutes on the White Sox pregame show on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network.